0: Welcome, friends, to episode number 34 of Ice Cave Radio. Flake alongside Charmer. Doa, Doa was going to be here. Doa was ready to rock and roll. Unfortunately, he has uh, succumbed to multiple unfortunate events that have led to him having to last-minute, and when we say last-minute, it was literally like 10 minutes ago, Mentioned to us that he cannot make it, and it, he... It breaks his heart that he can't be here, and he will be – He will, well, he'll be in Minneapolis, but he will be on plenty of future episodes, and no, he's not sick of us.
1: Yeah, I, I was just about to say, you know, he's probably going to hate that we're calling him out like this, but I, I have pulled it up, so I can just read it real quick. It says – I can't believe I ever associated with you, nerds. Get wrecked. You'll never hear from me again.
0: Get wrecked. The most professional, oh, no, no. the most professional of esports casters I have ever met. Saying things like "Get wrecked, you nerds." I don't think that that's part of it. No, 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 no. But still, we do miss Doa. Doha will be in Minneapolis this coming weekend. This episode actually releasing on a Friday because we don't want to take anything away from Saturday's festivities. So a little early for you. I'm Flake. This is Ice Cave Radio, a podcast about Star Wars Unlimited and all kinds of other Star Wars card gaming. And that is Charmer.
1: It is, in fact, me. And you know what else it is?
0: What is it? The cave pole of the week. That was a good transition. I like that one. No dilly dallying for you.
1: No, we got to get right in because I love this cave poll.
0: This cave pole um, is very apropos to everything going on in the world, and I think that by the from the moment I I hit the send button on on Sunday for this one to now people's impression of one of the options has dramatically changed and i'm talking about like within the past 24 hours so here yeah. is the cave poll of the week again available at ice cave radio on twitter every sunday you can give us your opinion who wins a battle of the bands your options are the modal nodes the modal nodes of course being uh the band at the cantina led mm-hmm. by Figrin dan Eight. Frankly, if you're into Jats, ladies and gentlemen, the modal nodes are one of the best. You have the Max Rebo Band, most famous for rocking it out at, at on the Jabba's sail barge. I mean, we've seen Max Rebo just getting those yeah. cruise gigs. <laughs> we, we have Cy Snoodles. Cy Snoodles was the one at Jabba's palace rocking it out, you know. Until uh, I think they redid it in the special editions where he have like the yeah the dude shows up and you see his little uvula jiggling about when he's like goonite, which I think <laughs> means like I don't know what the, what the what what that's a good question for for the wampas out there. What does goonite mean to you when he's like ah no 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 goonite and then they all just bust it out. It's like James Brown saying get down. Yeah, maybe. It's got to be it. And finally, <laughs> our, our fourth option, Taylor Swift. Because frankly, I think she has transcended time and space by now. So she is definitely an option here. And when I said that one of these options, Charmer, has kind of shifted in terms of people's perception. Um, but when I printed it, when I published this poll, this poll, you know, she's out there, everybody loves her. And suddenly over the past... Maybe 12 hours, today being February 2nd, uh, 7th, rather, at around quarter to 6 p.m. Eastern. People found out that she took like a 17-minute or 13-minute jet ride from one end of the town to the other.
1: People forgot that she's a billionaire, and so she does billionaire things. And then the the people that were very pro-Taylor then had to wrestle internally with the, like, well, I'm supposed to be like, very eat the rich as well, and now she's both, right? It'd be like being pro, um, you know, good political discourse, but then also realizing that Queen Amidala is still royalty, right? Like, you want to listen to her as the voice of reason, but also she's a filthy politician at the same time. You have that internal struggle, and I think that's what's happening Uh, A bit with the the Swifties.
0: I think that's, well, you know, it's like any other sort of cult of personality. It doesn't matter what they do because morality adjusts to their behavior and your perception of it in the same regard, where it's like, I don't know if this is good or bad. I'm going to see if this person does it. If they do it, it's automatically good. This exists in so many other capacities of so many other things. But I want to know, who did you vote for charmer
1: i voted for the max rebo band and the reason i did this is going to be a bit of a meandering story but uh you may or may not know that there is apparently a i don't know if it's a, a remake or if you would consider it a reboot or whatever um but there is a a new version of roadhouse coming out starring jake gillenhall
0: i have heard so yes i've seen <clears throat> yeah. i've seen stills
1: and, I, you know, I've seen the trailer and I'm, you know, speaking of like mixed feelings, I am very much against a lot of like remakes and reboots and things, especially when I think that there's nothing wrong with the original, um, you know, like Roadhouse is fine. I, I I, don't know who is saying like, man, I really wish that they would just do another Roadhouse movie because anyone who likes Roadhouse loves Roadhouse to begin with. But I'm having the internal struggle because I watched the trailer and Like if I'm being objective, like I want to hate it, but the trailer looks fun. And if it was literally named anything other than Roadhouse, like I would have been like, oh, yeah, that looks fun. I'll like watch that with the wife. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm trying, trying to be self-reflective. But anyway, I picked Max Rebo because they are to me the band from Roadhouse, you know, when they're like behind the cage and they like throw the bottle at them. And, you know, they're just like trying to survive and play their music in the club that's Max Revo on the sail barge, right? He's there with, like, the hive of scum and villainy. You know, it's Jabba, it's bounty hunters, it's whoever. And he's like, man, I'm just trying to to play some tunes, you know? I'm trying to not end up in that Rancor pit, you know, throw me a bone here. So, uh, yeah, that I don't know why, but that's why I was like, you know what? We're going to give it to the Star Wars universe version of the Roadhouse Band.
0: Mm, the, he's like the quartet that were began playing as the Titanic was sinking, you know? yeah. It's like, hey, this is what we do that let's just roll with it. in fact, there is this video that every now and then pops up on my reddit feed of I uh, it's an old video I think it's like it's got to be 20 years old. it looks like it was recorded that way of some uh I believe it is a Colombian uh country singer I, this sounds weird, but basically the <laughs> video is... He's on stage at this big banquet. He's handed a note. He reads the note. He goes, like, super, like, ghost white and then blasts out, um, like, a rendition of his most favorite song. And then you find out the backstory to it, which is basically he was handed a note from, like, a Colombian drug cartel that says, we are going to kill you after this show. And rather than, like, freak out or whatever, he's like, screw it, we're going down... Uh, you know, swinging, and he sings his song, and then he gets ex- he literally gets executed afterwards. That's not obviously in the video; that would be grotesque. But the video itself is just seeing him look at the note, realize this is my last day on earth, and just goes out in a blaze of glory, singing his most famous song. And yeah, for me, Max Rebo. I I believe there was a lot of rekindled Max Rebo interest when. Book of Boba Fett came out because Max Rebo was like in some of the scenes and people were like, he survived. The dude is un- invincible, you know? So <laughs> like, it was crazy. People are like, how the hell did he live? So I also voted for Max Rebo because there's very much this backstory to him where he is this kind of invincible person who's like, goes through hellfire and brimstone, witnesses the demise of the crime lord of Tatooine at the hands of, you know, the Rebellion's Greatest Heroes, and says, you know what? We're going to write another album about this. Kind of like Taylor Swift and her relationships, <laughs> I just realized. Yeah. Through demise and tragedy and smoldering ruin of people's lives, she comes out with Platinum Records, and so does Max Rebo. <sighs> Good old Max Rebo. Well, shall we go through the... uh... Yeah. Alright, so here are the the results, my friends. Basically, Max Rebo with the win at 45%. Uh, Second place, Figrin Dan in the modal nodes at 23.9%. Jats Legends. Uh, Taylor Swift, 22.9%. And Cy Snoodles way in the back at 8.3%. I think this is fair. I think that Taylor Swift probably wouldn't be last, even though, you know, I'm sure that long and far away her, the the broadcast of her wonderful, wonderful voice has made it all the way to Tatooine.
1: Yeah, I, one, I think folks got it right, obviously, because they picked the same thing as me. But I was honestly surprised Taylor Swift didn't get more votes. I'm going to be honest. I expected her to potentially get second place.
0: Most votes the- f- for any of our poll, by the way. This is the most oh. voted upon poll that we've oh, ever had. Of course,
1: had. <laughs> of course.
0: I, I like how you, you when we were putting the things out there. You're like jam Taylor Swift in there just for the just for the, just for the engagement. Okay, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not gonna lie. Got to be uh, timely and relevant. You're not wrong. All right. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. So our,
1: our next poll. Well, we don't know what it is obviously yet but uh i feel like if we're trying to be timely and relevant i just read the news that disney is investing in epic games something like 1.5 billion dollars for a stake in epic games so there's going to be a partnership between like them and you know there's already star wars and what do they do uh, marvel marvel stuff well so the big thing is fortnite oh
0: right they do Rocket Fortnite. League
1: and you know they've got their launcher and they, they actually have their own like development companies and, and things like that but uh you know the big one is fortnite and i know that disney already had like i said the star wars characters that are in fortnite sometimes i rock darth maul when i'm playing with the kids um but yeah i'm looking forward to more now
0: well didn't didn't wasn't there part of like star wars canon where they announced like emperor palpatine within fortnite like it was a fortnite related event
1: yeah they do events like that all the time um so like when Darth, there was a season where like Darth Vader was on the battle pass and then they were doing this thing where um, you could get lightsabers in the game like as a weapon. And so then you could use it to like do force dashes and then like, you know, slice people with the lightsaber. It was it was actually a lot of fun. Like yeah. I said, I, I play it with the kids. Stark is still dying to play with you. He's always asking, when is Uncle Flake going to download Fortnite? And I say, Uncle Flake doesn't even know who you are, kid. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: You're such an ass. Yeah. Uh... Okay. Um, for the record, completely different different thing here. Uh, anyways, uh, let's close this up. That is the Ice Cave Poll uh, of the week, ladies and gentlemen. The Cave Poll of the week available every Sunday uh, at Ice Cave Radio on Twitter. A new question every week for us to discuss. Go vote. Go follow us. Do all that stuff. Oh, vote. Um, I w- did a, my own little minor polling, as it would be, when I was in hartford for the calling the flesh and blood calling i asked people i said have you ever heard of the saying the cat's ass Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. many said well you mean the cat's pajamas do you mean the cat's meow and i said i believe these are all g-rated transformations of the pinnacle which is the cat's ass and then that became well yeah i've heard of that okay i get it and then our good friend as from Go Again Gaming, said, well, I've heard of the dog, uh, the dog's arse, or the cat's arse. I said, okay, that makes sense. But he's like, I've also heard of the dog's bollocks.
1: I was just about to say, that, as the British, that's the
0: one I know. And then it basically devolved into things like the chimps chode or the turtle's taint and all kinds of other nonsense. And then eventually I, the pairings went up and I had to go sit down and play. But there was a... A whole myriad of things, and I think that maybe the cat's ass is being a great saying. We should sort of create something like the Minox mouth, or I don't know, like you know, like the Dubacks. No, I don't know. The <laughs> he,
1: Sarlacc sack.
0: Yeah, the Sarlacc sack. Like we we need to use some Star Wars related things to sort of push forward. But anyways, that's I just wanted to clarify.
1: The like hole. <laughs>
0: You could have just said the Bantha's butt, but you had to qualify. The, the Duback Stingleberry. No, we're done. All right, let's go to the headlines, friends, as I rescue for you all from this. Uh, essentially, not many headlines to get to, um, but most importantly being that tomorrow, if you're listening to this on launch day, on the Saturday, there is a stream for FFG, which will feature a lot of the content creators and, and people uh, who have been graciously invited by FFG. To play the game early, to open packs, to draft, to play sealed, to do all kinds of cool stuff. We will be there. And uh, that, I think, is going to be the biggest chunk of change news, as far as I know. Unless there's something else that you know.
1: The other bit of news that I have is that I found a pre-release that I can go to. Hey!
0: Hey! So- that's big
1: ask your local game stores that uh, that is the big takeaway there i have at least one that i know of is running one for sure and i'm asking to see if there are others that same weekend because the one i'm going to will be on uh that friday the first and if i can f- you know find one on saturday or sunday i might try to go more than once
0: big deal we love that i think that's a that's awesome i know that i'm going to be going to the one at harry tarantula in toronto don't know what day specifically i think i want to do one as many as I possibly can, I will. The problem is, is, legitimately, I have asked a few within my, you know, within my radius of, of of where I can go, and some are not doing it. However, I have basically sort of beaten the drum, and I implore you all to do the same. I do have another piece of info, of news for you, though, Charmer. I'm all ears. Our T-shirts are in. Ooh. Oh, baby. It's so pretty. We get some Ice Cave Radio t-shirts. They are in. Um, Only three have been made, one for each, myself, you, and Doa. Uh, More will be coming, and along with a whole bunch of other stuff. And now's a good time, maybe, Charmer, to also drop a little tidbit of news, is that I made a Discord server today. So we're going to have the link to it in this video and everywhere else. And we invite everybody to start populating the cave because that's where yeah. we're going to be.
1: Hard our dust. It will likely be under construction for a bit because obviously we're stating this up and then we're jetting off to the event. But,
0: but yes. Hey, we, we want to invite people to come talk about the game, talk about your passions, your life, your love and everything in between, and just go from there. And we, we are, this was never kind of this never crossed my mind until multiple people said is there a discord server? is there a patreon? how can we kind of coalesce together? so if you choose to that's where we'll be and we invite you to come and hang out as well. all right, uh charmer. shall we talk about some spoilers? not many, and i think there's like 20 cards left as of when we are recording this again. yeah. February 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You want to kick us off, or should I do I, the first one so you can do the second one?
1: No, I want to do this first one, actually. Hit I, it. I really I really do. I will say that what we are lacking in quantity, we make up for in quality for the spoilers this week. We're talking about the cards, is, not the hosts. Yeah, yeah. not the hosts, uh, not the content. But the all of the spoiled cards are bangers, and there are three rares and one uncommon. So starting with one of the rares, we have the Emperor's Legion. This is a two-cost event. It is Command and Villainy, naturally, because it's the Emperor's Legion. has the tags Imperial and Supply, but it says return each unit in your discard pile that was defeated this phase to your hand. So for the low cost of two at the end of a round, right, if you've had a bunch of combat things go off and you've saved your resources, you can just put all the, the units that were defeated right back into your hand that is that is very big for like token go wide strategies obviously because if you're losing a bunch of little guys uh, that's really important but also this could even be pretty clutch for getting some key pieces back because it's only two like that is a very manageable cost
0: it's a very just difficult thing to to digest if you're on the opponent's side and you just went through the ringer to get rid of your opponent's stuff and all of a sudden they're like. I'll just take them back. We'll do this again next time kind of thing. It's any kind of recursive effects are really cool. This, to me, feels very Golgari, and it is green and black, so it's like the right color scheme as well. It's got Golgari, which, for those who don't know, in Magic, Golgari is basically green and black together, which has a lot of destruction and recursion effects to it. It's like sacrifice creatures, bring them back from the graveyard. It wants stuff in the graveyard. It wants to bring it back. It wants to do this vicious cycle um basically things are expendable when you're playing golgari your your creatures are expendable because you're probably getting them back Uh, either way emperor's legion is a pretty pretty cool card i feel this is a rare i think this is a good rare i think that it's costed correctly most cards in magic that steal things out of the graveyard and put them back into your hand are usually between one and two cost or they're costed higher with better effects, like put it directly to the battlefield. I'm waiting for that yeah. card, Charmer. I'm waiting for the... Well, yeah. The bring it back and put it directly back onto the battlefield.
1: Yeah, because this is the Emperor's Legion, and when we get the one that puts it directly into play, that'll be the Emperor's comeback.
0: Somehow, the Emperor has returned.
1: Exactly. We'll also just say real quick, I'm a sucker for big battles, and you and I have said big space battles are... Some of our favorite art in the game. This piece is really cool for a ground battle, though. The ATST and the troopers, and I love what they did with the lighting. It kind of sells you on this was like a night battle, but it's literally being lit up by all of the blaster fire. I will say the stormtrooper who's at the forefront has a little bit of a, a weird pose to me. Dude, he looks I was like,
0: saying the same. It looks like he looks like a uh, like chad kroger from nickelback holding a guitar
1: he does i was about to say he looks like he's playing a guitar or an instrument but other than that like everything else about this i really really like this is one of my favorite ground battle art pieces that i've seen so far
0: dude you're correct it's remember i was talking about the dude that was looking through the scope of the gun and it looked like his head was growing yeah, out Rico. of his shoulder yes in this case yeah i i kind of get it he's kind of got like a little bit of a, you know it Look at looks this. like
1: he's holding something heavy. Like, if, if this started as... Because who knows how they commission these things, right? I could see a scenario where this started maybe not as a stormtrooper, but as a clone trooper with, like, one of the big cannons. Yeah. And so he's got that flouch. And then they're like, actually, you know, we're going to turn this into stormtroopers. And they just give him, you know, the the blaster here and then it it just the slouch looks a little
0: weird. Yeah. But other than
1: that, uh I mean I I love the piece.
0: Well, he's kind of hip firing it, which for yeah. a standard E-web blaster, I don't I think or I don't know if it's an E-web that they use, but ultimately the standard issue Stormtrooper blaster rifle, like mostly you kind of see them kind of shoulder mounting it to a degree and firing it. This guy's looks like he's he's just ramboing it and that's fine. Like for example, look not to the dude behind him, but the the third one holding it more upright that looks more natural right. they, they all seem to be rock stars here if if you've ever seen have you seen tropic thunder
1: oh, of course i have
0: all right remember that scene <laughs> where um well i was gonna say frank Costanza's son <laughs> ben stiller when ben stiller <laughs> who still has no idea. Ben Stiller still has no idea that he's in an actual war zone. And they're like, you got to get over there. You got to like... And then he's like, fine. And he goes and he does these rolls and he's making it all like... He's like... Da, 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 da. Dramatic. Yeah. yeah. And like, meanwhile, it's a real... Like, that is kind of... I think that they're all... This, to me, looks like a poster for Tropic Thunder Star Wars edition.
1: You Could know? be that. The, the other way I was looking at it, too, is everyone else is like in the heat of the battle, and he looks like some private that, you know, the the officer, you know, that's on the field is like, hey, you need to get in there. And he's like, oh, fine. So he's like half into it. You know, he's like, <laughs> oh, I'll, I guess I'll lift my E-11 carbine. Yes. You know, I'll I'll throw a couple of shots, but I ain't putting in work today. This, You know, I, I, I don't know. It just feels lazy in, in some respects as well. Like, uh, I guess I will.
0: One of the movies I watched on my way to New Zealand was the World's Greatest Beer Run, which was a very good movie. I really, I really like Zac Efron. Um, he plays a dude named named Chicky who is feels bad because he didn't get drafted. Not feels bad, but he like his friends got drafted, and he's like he keeps getting told that like you know you're not contributing, you're not doing anything. So he says I'm, he's going to go bring his buddy's beer. It's based on a true story, and what's crazy about it is at the end of the story they show you the real footage and they show you the real pictures that were he goes to vietnam and brings a, a, a duffel bag of beer and the whole thing is that he doesn't comprehend how absolutely devastating and tragic the entire situation is how the people who are there are in no way shape or form having any semblance of solace while he's there and that's kind of what i feel like it's over here like, he's like, we have to go over there. He's like, all right, let's walk. And they're like, no, it's like, you're under constant sniper fire. Yeah. And so, like, that's kind of how I feel like. But that's that's the Emperor's Legion. The The artwork is great, I think. It's really cool. Like you said, uh, that one Chad Kroger Nickelback guy in the front <laughs> aside. but
1: It's the bard.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's The fine. bard of this D&D group. All right, let's move on to what is, in my opinion, probably the, the – the mac daddy hero that you can use the leader it is emperor palpatine galactic ruler and he is a command and villainy action for one cut for one resource you defeat a friendly unit so you sack a friendly unit golgari hello golgari deal one damage to a unit and draw a card and draw a card and the epic action is, uh, if you control eight or more, you can flip him to Emperor Palpatine. He is a Force Imperial Sith official. A four attack, ten body. Is this the first double digit body we've seen?
1: i believe so except for things that are like starships and but like as far as a single character yeah. this is the first time we've seen double digit
0: a text reads when deployed take control of a damaged non-leader unit yep <laughs> on attack you may defeat another friendly unit if you do deal one damage to a unit and draw a card this dude is I think I had mentioned the whole time Thrawn, 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 Thrawn. And I'm still high on Thrawn. Don't get me wrong. But when we were talking about this game early on and we got our first glimpse of a big walker and a big Star Destroyer, I said Command and Villainy is going to be your ramp big boy control. And I was waiting for the leader to make it happen. And this is the dude. This is... The deck I am starting with. This is absolutely the deck I am starting with. It is Emperor Palpatine. It's a bunch of DJ Death Stars and a bunch of low-cost, on-deploy value that I'm going to feed to Sheev, okay? And he is going to do some naughty stuff. I am so for this hero. This is a five-on-five for me.
1: I love the design because it's obviously about sacrificing pawns to gain power right flavor wise this is such a home run and then also the deal of damage to a unit as well it's like throwing little mini force lightnings out i know we have the unit that represents him like doing the full force lightning thing but even here just kind of having that little jab little bit here i i love it i also love that you mentioned dj death star because When I first saw this, I thought even if he doesn't find a true home in set one, he will be a rock star at some point because he is such a good when defeated enabler. I could see scenarios where in later sets we have decks that revolve around units that trigger when defeated effects, for example, and some of them might be hard to trigger, right? They might have a good effect, but like a high health, low attack so that you have to work to do it, but then you just have a leader that can let you trigger those when-defeated effects essentially on command. That's really, really important if you want to build an archetype around that kind of ability. I love, I love everything about this leader. Like,
0: oh, I agree. I agree.
1: Whew. The question, obviously, is, you know, can you survive to pull them off? Um, I think even though we were talking about ramp. It's going to be difficult to go double command with him i think that you're also really going to need to lean into probably vigilance because that seems to be the best source of uh villainy based units where you have uh health gain right so again del Mico, the guy we were talking about has restore uh, you've got your removal events in vigilance as well to help you kind of get to that late game um, we've also seen some great control units so if you have Palpatine so the other big thing you know you talk about ramp right in the swing turns uh you have to remember his epic action doesn't actually cost the resources so if you can speed run to eight and then you're trying to stabilize you can drop a giant eight drop walker or starship or whatever and then also deploy Palpatine and then if they have a damaged unit then you take that from them as well yeah. Like, it is a big swing in stabilization. You just got to get there. So,
0: so no, I, like, th- every major kind of deck that, that has this, and I'm going to uh, let people know or, or sort of take this back to something like, let's say, Prism or Druid. Prism in Flesh and Blood was a hero that, basically, you looked like you were losing until you were just definitely winning. It was a, all right, I, I, will, I will take my licks, set myself up, and go down to about half health or less. But then it's it's the me show. And there's nothing you can do because I will overwhelm you. But I have to survive to then. And in this case, like for example, the same thing with Druid in Hearthstone. When you're ramping up, when you're doing that ramp game, you're probably giving up board status. But late game, you're going to be dropping massive pieces that your opponents are going to be well behind on. That is the trade-off. Um, I played domain ramp in standard magic a couple of months ago maybe four or five months ago and it was the same thing it's like all right you're gonna set up the board i'm gonna take some damage but i'm gonna by turn five i'm gonna have nine lands down and then it's done that's kind of what this feels like and there's tools to do it and what i'm really frightened about is what this deck is gonna look like on set two on set three on set four so we'll see what that looks like but for now this is this is If you're going to ask me, what is the first deck I'm building? It is Sheave, baby. Believe in Sheave. That's what we're doing. We Sheave to Believe. Hashtag Believe in Sheave. Sheave to Believe. All right. Shall you You go to the next one? uh, Yeah, yeah, I was
1: going to say some strong beliefs. (laughs) None other than Saw Guerrera, Extremist. I love this card so much. Oh, God. Um, I I cannot begin to tell you how insane this card feels. All right, so Saw Guerrera is a four-cost ground unit, double aggression. But there's a reason that he's a four-cost double aggression, because all of the rest of his package is kind of nutty in terms of power. Has a five-hour, four-body, has the rebel tag as an additional cost for each opponent to play an event, they must deal two damage to their base. So again, to put that into perspective, it's only opponents, and that is for every event they want to play, they also have to deal two damage to their base while he's on the board. And he's kind of pretty well upstated as a 5-4 four for four in an aggressive deck. This is just absolutely monstrous.
0: It is monstrous, especially if your opponent doesn't have a clean way to deal with it. Not to mention, if your opponent is going to use a event to get rid of it, that's fair. That's perfectly fair. But they're going to get taxed on it. It's when, you know, there are always decks out there that do more, most of the heavy lifting through events. I'm looking right now at Waylay is probably going to, oh, sorry, um, Cunning is probably going to be a lot of that. Um, this is going to be nasty. Is it decks in Magic? would just hate this. And the mm-hmm. problem is is at the same time is like okay, yeah, maybe I'll just remove it with one card, but that's a card that's you're going to get taxed on to get rid of this that you might not want to. The four body is I mean, there's a lot of things. I think takedown kills it, doesn't it? Yeah. And So there there is a lot
1: of things that will remove it at 4, but the important piece here is that one, as you said, you already get taxed. So he doesn't have a comes into play ability. But he almost guarantees, unless you know, you're know you leading off your turn with him blind and he gets hit with an ambush or something, he almost guarantees that he's going to still get you value in the form of that two damage. So you develop your board, you're likely threatening two damage or some sort of unit trade. But the other thing that he does is in the late stages of the game, if you already have other units on the board that are problematic for your opponent, and then you drop this, now if they've got that takedown, or you know whatever that they were going to use they have to say okay well do i want to take out the saw or do i want to take out the first thing i was already planning on getting rid of and then also take damage later for the saw there is just like that tension that he creates and that's so important for aggressive decks he he does a lot of things for you he's so so and the rebel tag is not irrelevant there's a lot of the aggression based like weenies that interact with rebels. Um, as I've been kind of moseying over, you know, um, decks that I want to try building, and I've been doing quite a bit of theory crafting. One of the lists I've been working on is a double aggression uh, Sabine list, and there's a lot of rebel interaction in double uh, aggression, and he just fits right into it.
0: I'm, uh, I'm not going to be playing aggression. I don't think for a while. That's just me. I, I'm more interested in other things, but I absolutely respect the game. You know what I mean? Like, game, respect, game. This is one of those situations where I look at Sagarera and yeah, you're, it looks fragile, but it's a situation where if you're playing a very aggressive deck, you're probably using a lot of resources to get rid of stuff, a lot of events to get rid of stuff, and he hits the board, and you're like, all right, I, I gotta get rid of this. Maybe there's a, a more damaging unit on the board but i cannot let this go especially if i'm playing cunning or i'm playing vigilance that's going to have a lot of events that i'm going to be playing i like Sa i think this is this card's a solid four on five four four and a half we're going to do a full set review eventually
1: yeah but i i would play this card if it said every player had to take two damage to play events the fact that it's only opponents still just blows my mind yeah
0: because as an aggressive unit like aggressive thing you're probably playing minimal events you're just you're flooding the board right like that's your your game plan uh all right let's go to the last spoiler again we went in chronological order of release here again big thank you to swoo db go check them out they they do such great things they also have a podcast and they're wonderful people there so we want to give some shout outs because great resource Let's go take a look here. It is a six-drop Vigilance Command space unit. It's the Ghost. You know the Ghost. Spectre home base. And it is a vehicle, a Rebel vehicle, a transport, and it has the Spectre tag, a 5-5. 5-5 for 6, meh, not so good. However, it is shielded. It is protected. And it says when played on attack or on attack. You may give a shield token to another Spectre unit. Huge. Huge! Shield tokens, I think, are going to be very important. They facilitate trades so well. Um, I think that this is an awesome card. And I think that within the, the grand scheme of Spectre, there's so many different aspects floating around. I haven't given it much thought, but I know you have. So I want to hear what you think about the Ghost.
1: I really like the Ghost for your Hera Just because the ability to protect your key, you know, ghost homies, if you will, right? All all of the the Spectre crew is going to be really important. But if I'm being honest, what I really, really like about this card is where it sits in limited. It's only an uncommon. And when you look at the kind of disparity between the low cost starships are and then the higher cost ones are, There are very few kind of middle of the road units that are in the space zone and this fits that bill very well and the fact that it shields its you know self right out of the get-go is is very very important so in limited this is the kind of unit that could help you take control of or just clamp down on the entire space arena and then run away with it so I I think it'll be an auto-include in the hero lists just because I, I can't imagine that you're not wanting to run all of the Spectre units because that's part of the fun. But when I saw this, I was like, wow, I actually think this card is pretty good and limited. It also doesn't hurt that many of the Spectre units are also uncommons, so it's very likely that you can run other Spectre units still in your draft deck or in your sealed deck, right? Like, you could be running uh this and kanan and if you could then play this and put the shield on kanan that's a pretty big play in limited
0: i'm I'm just so hyped for this (laughs) um i want to make a comparison and i am a huge star trek fan as well this ship reminds me of the defiant the ship from deep space nine that eventually was under... It was uh, under the command of uh, Captain Cisco, and eventually under the command of Captain Worf. And if you watch the best ever Star Trek movie of all time, First Contact, there is a scene where Worf is piloting the Defiant and it gets rescued by um, the Enterprise against an engagement against the Borg. And the funniest part is... Worf they 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 beam all the, su- the survivors onto the bridge uh, onto the enterprise and Dr. Crusher's like there's a we have a patient who insists on coming to the bridge and it's Worf. And uh <laughs> he's all battered and bruised and the ship is like adrift and <laughs> Riker goes to Worf and says "Tough little ship you got there." And Worf looks at him and says "Little?" <laughs> and, and like Riker's like "Oh, okay, sorry." And this is kind of what this ship reminds me of, is the Ghost reminds me of the Defiant. It doesn't look like much, but under the right pilot, the right crew, the right command, it is a tough little SOB, and that's kind of what I feel like this is going to be.
1: Every now and then, I remember why I'm friends with you, and I just need you to know that... uh... I'm so happy that you recognize First Contact is the best Star Trek movie. It is. Because I 100% agree. Without it a doubt.
0: It's an excellent movie, all things considered. An excellent movie, all things considered,
1: but it's easily the most rewatchable. It is, I would almost say it might be the only Star Trek movie, even counting like the new Abrams ones, that like if I was flipping through channels and it was on, it's a, okay, I'll stop flipping. Like that's how I judge a lot of my movie enjoyments, right? Like if I'm bored and I'm flipping through channels... Or something just happens to be on, am I willing to change it? And that's one where I'm like, no, I'll leave it, you know?
0: Within the dating hellscape that is apps and such, whenever you're trying to get to know somebody, one of the questions that'll ask to spark conversation is, if you're flipping through channels, what movie do you land on that you cannot switch the channel off again? Uh, we all have those. And you're right. This is a movie I think I've seen about seven or eight times. I Recently, I think over the holidays, you know, like... The the gloomy depression filled holidays. I basically watched all the Star Trek movies from Star Trek One, Star Trek the Motion Picture, all the way through to the final or the the most recent Abrams movie. It's like eleven or twelve movies. I watched all of them. This one still stands as my favorite. First First Contact was absolutely uh, my favorite, and it's a Jurassic Park, by the way. Oh, Jurassic Park is your, yeah. No, the original Jurassic Park. The 90s had some of the most, like I tried to do them, like top 10 movies, your top 10 favorite movies of the 90s. And I was like, oh, that's not hard to do. Jurassic (laughs) Park, True Lies, uh, Men in Black. And then by the time you're done listing movies, you're like, okay, and the 27th movie on my top 10 list is. There are so many banger movies in the 90s. It's unfair.
1: Jurassic Park is the movie that made me love movies is the only way I know how to put it because it was the right movie at the right time in my life. You have to understand when Jurassic Park came out, I was nine. It was, it was like everything that I wanted in a movie experience as a nine year old boy to go see Jurassic Park. It was mind blowing. And then I was just, I was hooked and it has stuck with me for like my entire life. Like I, I, have seen it probably in the hundreds of times. Like that's not even hyperbole. I am a huge Jurassic Park guy. Um and I, then side note, like my if I you had to like have a list, right? So we'll go Jurassic Park uh Die Hard is up there. Yep. Uh Predator is up there. And then it's hard to because like it's technically three movies, but any of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like if if that's on, it's but those weren't nineties movies. No, no, no. Those no, I just meant Oh, uh, all right,
0: okay, yeah. Well, yeah, that, no, yeah, I'm that's not
1: going like, to do my 90s thing. We'll be here all that nah, That's
0: <laughs> kind of like cheating. Yeah, I agree. I just meant like
1: stuff where I know definitively, like if I if I come across it, like, all right, we've stopped. We are now in the, the movie for the rest of the movie.
0: All right. I'm calling emergency pack on this and I'm going to end it with this with this as we move on to the main topic. Jurassic Park was the first movie I watched where I actively believed that what I was seeing was real, like. I, I knew that it wasn't, but it but I was convinced. Like, that was the first time that I saw a movie where I was like, wow, the movies can make me believe. Something Like, I've seen – I saw all kinds of other movies, but in your head, I'm like, this is fake, obviously. This is just make-believe. That was the first movie where I watched it, and I I felt like it was real. And that's what – like you said, it was the first time that a movie made that happen for me. And that's where we're at. All right. So – what is the main topic of the conversation today? Well, we did get a bunch of people asking us, saying, hey, sell this game to me. Tell me why I should play it. And I am, f- I- I receive all kinds of messages from people, both positive for Star Wars Unlimited and negative for Star Wars Unlimited, because we would be silly to not, um, not you know, re- um, or to ignore the fact that FFG has put out other products before with Star Wars on it that has ultimately disappointed the fan base down the line. So some people are just not on board, but some are still on the fence. And they said, sell it to me, because you're clearly gung-ho about it. You, Charmer, Doa, are very well-versed in card games, so tell me why this is something I should give a crap about. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through casual, competitive, and collectability and tell you why... Star Wars Unlimited might appeal to you. This isn't us trying to chill the game to you, but what we want to do is talk to you about part some elements within those three metrics or those three criteria, and maybe something there gra- gra- uh, grips you, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe after all we say, you say, you know what, I've decided this isn't for me, and that's perfectly okay. There is nothing wrong with that. So... Charmer, do you want to you want to kick us off a little bit? Talk about the some of the casual appeal?
1: I would love to because I I think that this is one of the strengths of the game if I'm being honest. Um, obviously Star Wars is a very accessible intellectual property, so there are lots of themes that are going to carry over whether you're a fan of Star Wars or not. There's still, you know, good and evil, good guys and bad guys, if you will. Um, recognizable characters but obviously if you're a fan of Star Wars that goes miles and miles further there are multiple game modes that we already know are going to be supported so if you're a casual for example uh, and when we say casual I, I just mean somebody who's not like invested in the competitive tournament scene I don't mean like somebody who's not taking the game serious or whatever but you know maybe limited play isn't your thing maybe you don't like sealed or draft but You do like multiplayer. We've already been teased the Twin Suns format. Um, We know that there are likely going to be more formats being supported as well. The other nice bits here, if you are somebody who just enjoys playing the game and you don't like those non-games, is that the resource is more forgiving than if you're coming from, you know, again, games like Magic the Gathering. Since you don't have to draw lands and any card can be a resource, you're never going to have... You know, those situations where you just don't have resources now, depending on how you build your deck, you could draw all your cards that cost like eight or more and still not be able to do anything. That's just card games, but it's a lot more forgiving. I love the draw two cards per turn. I love that so many cards in set one also draw a card because that means you're putting an emphasis on player choice, right? Yes, you can also play the attrition game, but the idea is that you're not going to have non turns where you just feel like you're not doing anything. Uh, but another thing that really, I think, jumps out, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot, because one of the big pieces of feedback I hear when people try Flesh and Blood, and they talk about why they couldn't get into that, they say, you know, it's not that it's a ad game, I just like that feeling of getting stronger over time. So one of the reasons Flesh and Blood a- appealed to me was because it was a departure from the norm, which is that most... Card games up until that point had been what are called uh, progressive and flesh and blood is degenerative, meaning you start at your strongest and then you get weaker throughout the game. Games like Magic, games like Lorcana, you start weak and then you get stronger as your resources increase and you play more cards. And this fits that bill. So if you are somebody who... You know, if you've been playing Magic or you enjoy Lurikana and that is something that appeals to you, you like that feeling of I'm getting stronger as the game goes on. I get to do cooler things. I get to work towards something, build towards something. This game will fit that bill. And we just saw that when we were talking about the revealed cards like the Emperor, right? That's that satisfying moment. You build up to it and then you get your big swing turn. And that is something that I think is going to appeal to people and will... kind of capture them a bit more
0: i'm i'm all for it i think that you're right and part of that also just kind of lends itself to the fact that the it's a familiar game it's something that if you're casual you don't need to go ahead and go back to square one because when i started playing flesh and blood i had a vast you know repertoire of experience within other games but this one but but flesh and blood felt different it, it, it significantly felt different in terms of understanding the rules and some of the nuances. And obviously, it lent itself some of the rule sets and, and objectives of bring your opponent down to zero is very familiar. But this one lends a lot of, of rule sets, keywords, interactions from a lot of other card games. So getting into it is not going to feel as imposing. And I think that that is an appealing factor from casuals where you could pick it up and even if you don't read the rule set back to front, you can kind of understand. It's like okay, I kind of getting this. I know what restore does. It's kind of like lifelink. I know what shield does. It's kind of like divine shield. It's you know, and and, and stuff like that. Or um, all these others. I know how to tap lands. I know how to attack. I know what um, summoning sickness is. I know all that stuff. But beyond that, the appeal, the number one appealing factor to me for this game, is is going to be the fact that. There are th- so many themes that you can explore, be it the specters and the rebels, be it the walkers and the big space units and the this and the that and the, and the underground um, bounty hunter, scum and villainy kind of stuff. It doesn't matter about fine-tuning and creating the best possible well-tuned Symphony of a Deck. It is about creating something that is going to feel cool playing it. And I and I the reason that I think that this is cool is because I only played Star Wars CCG in a casual setting. I never played tournaments ever when I was growing up. I didn't have the resources, I didn't have the transportation, the opportunity, it just wasn't there. I only played kitchen table and we were building decks that we thought were cool and it is to this day, still my all-time favorite card game because I got to blow up the Death Star. Because my buddy got to feed feed dudes to the Rancor or feed them to the Sarlacc Pit. Because I got to rescue Han Solo from Jabba's Palace in Carbonite. That's why I was so into that. I got to build a deck full of Imperial Walkers and Invade Hoth. It's the themes, it's the recognizable characters, and the fact that the game and the cards have flavor to them that are recognizable. You see Han Solo and what he does, it feels Han Solo-esque. That is a lot of the appeal that other card games kind of lack to a degree from a casual perspective. You know, if it wasn't for Commander, I don't think I would play Magic uh, casually in any way, shape, or form. So... Why do I do it? Well, because I, I play commander because I want to do a zombie theme, cool stuff, or I want to do angels because it's cool. The themes and the tribals are part of the appeal, but I, I but the appeal is for a casual setting without anything on the line besides having fun and some you know bragging rights.
1: Yeah, I look forward to all of the casual sub formats. You know, you you just hit the nail on the head. The tribal thing. You know, I've played so many casual magic events where it's like you have to bring a tribal deck. And so somebody brings goblins and somebody brings slivers and you've got angels and whatever. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, the Spectre deck versus the Imperials versus the Jedi or whatever. And all of the stuff that comes with that with this game. I'm also looking forward to other fun things. Like I was thinking, you know, once we get a couple of sets in, I think it'd be really cool to have what I would call an everyman's format. So rarity doesn't matter. You can't play any unique cards. Ah, right? that's cool. It's the everyman's format. Stuff like that that you can just do. And that's, again, one of the things I love about physical card games is that they're physical cards. So you can just make up whatever rules you want. It's not, I would do a digital client that you have to adhere to. Well, this is the only ways to play. That's literally how the best casual formats in Magic were created was a bunch of people going, hey, let's just do this thing. And suddenly we have the emperor format and we have you know commander uh, for me it'll always be edh because that's the way i remember it and you know the bounty hunter format and magic and so on and so forth i'm looking forward to all of that with this game
0: oh it's gonna be great so there you go and from a casual perspective i think that's part of it there's gonna be lots of game modes some of them you're just inventing right now there's gonna be a two-headed giant uh type of of format like a 2v2 from twin suns i believe it's called, which I. Leads me to believe it's a two versus two. Um, the other part is there's a forgiving resource system, so land screw is not going to be an issue. You draw a lot of you draw two cards a turn. There's gonna be a lot of opportunity to do things. This this feels to me like a clash and bang kind of game, not like a I have my sneaky way of doing things. To me, this game is one on the battlefield. It's not one through spells or or tapping things in a certain sequence to get a minor edge over time. That is, that's why the casual appeal to me is pretty significant. But again, a lot of that it leans towards the fact that if you like the IP, that definitely helps, you know? So um, let's move to the competitive appeal of this. And one of them that I'm writing in right now, we'll leave till the end, uh, we'll put it there. But I just added in, but let's, let's talk a little yeah. bit of a competitive edge. You just saw it, right? I completely forgot, yeah, but to of course. me, to me, it's like one of the leading factors. We'll, we'll end with that one. Um, here's where I think from a competitive standpoint, this game definitely has legs and it's rules aside. We're going to put the rules They're They're important, obviously, but I want to talk a little bit about the deck building latitude in this game. It has a very magic esque deck building latitude where you could put you could do a five color pile of nonsense and go crazy you can do that you can build whatever the hell you want and make it rule. and i think that that's important because that opens up a lot of strategy it opens up a lot of combo potential a lot of intricate moving parts and details that games like gwent hearthstone flesh and blood pokemon might not have well pokemon does um, but all the others might not have because you are restricted in deck building to the class that you are playing. In Hearthstone, if you're playing Priest, you can't put Mage cards in there. In Flesh and Blood, if, if you're playing Guardian, you can't put Runeblade cards in there. It's just the way it goes. This does not have that. There are going to be taxes associated to playing the cards you want if they're outside of your aspect triangle, but ultimately, the fact that you're able to do that there are There's a lot of people out there who are innovators, who are experimenters, who are going to be in the lab saying, well, if these two cards, which are completely opposed to one another in terms of aspects, they can coalesce and do some really crazy stuff. It's going to be expensive, but is it worth it? And then you go to work. And I really like that, that there's a lot of latitude in your deck building in this game.
1: I do not envy the designers and the folks who do balance and whatever because there is so much latitude with this game and I'm constantly reminding myself of that. It's it's so weird. Every time I see a card, I have to say to myself, would I pay two more for this? And that's just such a unique feeling. And I don't think that we really know the long term effects of that, right? And that applies to limited too. I know I bring it up all the time on this podcast, but I love limited and the limit as- limited aspect for this game. Just it's me so ramped up and excited. And I'm looking forward to obviously drafting a ton of this first set, but I'm also just looking forward to the future sets, right? Because, you know, when I think about other card games, they start with a good core but they really find their stride most often like year 2 year 3 because that's when they can start incorporating some of that feedback from those early sets and so that's what i keep thinking about right is like the sets that will be impacted by the feedback that's provided after you know we've had a chance to play like set 1 and set 2 i i'm just so ready i don't know how else to put it um and i think that that's the appeal to competitive folks like if you're if you're just trying to sell them on gameplay stuff it's that there is room for a lot of uh expression but also a lot of potential to gain advantage a lot of competitive players love finding that you know two or three percent advantage they'll they'll agonize over deck lists there's a lot of freedom of movement in your deck building here and I, i think that that is going to be one of the big appeals
0: Another major appeal of competitive to me is the fact that there's a lot of decision-making agency uh, in terms of how a particular turn plays out, and it's not necessarily just dependent on you. Much like in Hearthstone, everything happens on your turn. Your opponent can't really interact on their own turn. You make all your decisions, and then you pass the turn. The turns are communal. You just have um, your, your action, then your opponent's, and it alternates until both players pass. Uh, there's a eureka moment I see yeah well
1: I mean it's hard it's hard for me to also not like think about this it's been on my mind a lot lately so if you're not familiar uh, Legends of Runeterra is a fantastic digital card game and unfortunately the competitive support that I used to do casting a coverage for uh, it's been announced that that's at a minimum going into hibernation and it might not ever come back and it's been on my mind a lot as a, a result of that but if you're somebody who's listening to this and you are just trying out you know, the, the podcast because you've seen me tweet about it or whatever saying, hey, come try this game if you're coming from Legends of Runeterra, this is something that will appeal to you. It's a back and forth nature. It plays just like Legends of Runeterra where it's I take an action, you take an action, I take an action. Now, there is one difference. There are no um, like fast spells or burst speed stuff. But what you do gain as an advantage, though, is in Terra, there's this skill called um, dry passing. Like it's the idea of I'm passing and then my op- the pressure's on my opponent because they could pass and then the turn's just over. But if they take an action, now I get the chance to respond. This game has something similar. So you can take the initiative, which is like passing your entire turn, but you get to go first next time. But there's also the ability to just pass. And I think that the players who very quickly figure out how to dry pass in this game for advantage, it's going to be a skill. And I do think Legends of Runeterra Runeterra players in particular will be very, very good at it. So if you're listening to this and you're heartbroken about Runeterra and you're thinking about trying a new card game, pick this one up.
0: That's a very, very good point. The dry pass is is gonna be a skill set in itself, and that alludes also a little bit to another part which is bluffing. Because I think that there's gonna be a part a part where you have the right the right response in your hand but you don't have the right thing on the board to that you want to use it for. So maybe you pass with a couple resources open, and then you wait to see what your opponent does. And if they drop something, then bam, you get them. There's going to be some bluffing aspects that are involved in this. And part of it is also just, yeah, that dry pass. And, you know, just saying, like, I, go for, I have the initiative, but I'm going to pass to you because I want to be able to respond to your actions. Right. And, and that is going to be massive, especially if you're cunning. Cunning wants to respond. That's what cunning wants to do. Cunning may not always want the initiative, but cunning definitely wants the, the ability to respond to your stuff. And if cunning does have the initiative, maybe they just say, you know, alright, brand new turn. Everything untaps. I'm going to draw my cards, I'm going to put some resources on the board, and I'm going to pass. And your opponent's going to be like, what the hell is going on? And they'd right. be silly not to to take it, because what if they just say, like, all right, well, I'll just take the initiative, and then they're like, cool, your turn is done, here's all my stuff, and then what are they going to do? It is it is a, a significant layer that I think when it comes to what makes a good card player, deck building, certainly. Sideboard, sure. Meta analysis, yeah, but this is a brand new little, you know, extra meat patty in this in this hamburger that you're gonna that that makes it so extra juicy and I love it I love it I love it I love it so initiative system bluffing the decision making for every single turn the dry passing all that stuff is great charmer but at the end of the day if you're playing competitively you want a carrot at the end of that stick
1: yeah which is of course a giant trophy
0: right a trophy money glory and this is part of um, of a major appeal for, for many card games is going to be the prize. And why do you compete, which is winning big, big money?
1: So I, I'm going to be fully honest here. Um, I'm not saying I don't want to win money because I definitely do. And there's a lot of people who do. But even if it wasn't actual money, but if I ever had the opportunity to win an oversized check and maybe it just said Republic credits or something on it, I just want to win an oversized check i know we've talked about this in the past but that's what i really want i need an oversized check that i can win and hang in my office
0: it would be cool i mean it's like the ultimate sort of flex fun story ricky henderson famous baseball player when he he got his first signing bonus of a million dollars he framed it and didn't cash it because he's ricky henderson (laughs) <laughs> One yeah. of the most ridiculous sports personalities of all time, Ricky freaking Anderson. So funny. Um, now, we don't have any information above and beyond what everybody already knows regarding uh, the OP system, the organized play system. We know what's coming from a structural standpoint, but we don't know what's involved from a monetary standpoint, what is being invested. Here is... What I will say, because a lot of people have asked me, I'm kind of interested, what's the OP format or a system? And I explained to them, I said, you'll have these levels kind of akin to flesh and blood to a degree, which frankly, I think in my opinion is the benchmark right now of OP systems. So they're like, well, how much money can I win? Like, what are the, what's the big deal? And I said, look, I do not know, and I'm not going to venture a guess unless I was confident but I am venturing a guess of a million dollars global for the for all events across 2025. And the reason I say that is because that is legitimately almost the basement price that you need to get people involved for a global game. Because again, a million dollars isn't like, oh, I won the Galactic Championship, I'm a millionaire. No, it's a million dollars prize pool spread across all the planetary, the sector qualifiers and all that stuff. So you'll have 2Ks, you'll have 10Ks, you'll have a couple hundred Ks, and maybe you have the Galactic Championship as like a 200K or whatever. I mean, Flesh and Blood last year had a million dollar prize prize thing in 2023 and their world championship was $300,000 prize pool so my guess is that is what's happening and from everything I've discussed with FFG and they're them talking about they've invested they have more manpower they have more invested in this than anything they've ever done it leads me to believe Charmer that that is where they are at Magic the Gathering million dollar prize pool Flesh and Blood in 2024 million and a half they've upped it a million and a half my guess is that if they want to compete with these card games for the attention the time and the efforts of the of the game playing community they have to put a million dollar price tag otherwise people will go to other games that have higher price tag numbers and i they are very well aware of that
1: i so i am actually on the other end of the spectrum i think that if you win the world championship you will get a weekend pass to galaxy's edge no that, uh, and then you'll get and then you'll get promos. And I... the reason that I believe this wholeheartedly mind you, not a bit I fully believe it. The reason I believe it is because if it's anything more than that, I'm now happy. And if it is that, then I wasn't disappointed. And so that's what I'm going Oh,
0: with. I get it. All right. So you're kind of... I, Because
1: the reality is, I'm just going to be honest, I am probably going to play this game one way or the other. For sure. Absolutely. So I am trying to not get my hopes up any more than they already are. And this is one way that I have forced myself uh, some expectations and limitations, if you will, of my expectations. So... Um, that is, that is what I'm, I'm choosing to believe until I hear otherwise. All right. That's so I a, can either be right or I can be happily
0: wrong. Take the conservative <laughs> approach. I think it's a safe bet, but I will say that if you're a competitor, and again, I, the, I think the reason I didn't write it in the list initially is because there's no confirmation of this, but I will say for all of you competitive types that, uh, I I am willing to bet dollars to donuts that there's going to be a hefty price, uh, a hefty, you know, prize price pool available to this and i think that it kicks off with something like a hundred k galactic championship in the summer oh, like an open tournament to get the buzz going for this game i think that's fair
1: so i will as one final point here i will say that one of the hurdles i think this game potentially faces is what's the right way to put this um Sometimes for other games, the grassroots events can do a lot to help draw interest into a competitive scene, especially in the early stages and the ability for local game stores or maybe a, you know, a a gaming convention or whatever for somebody to like just run an event, even if it's not sanctioned, right. But for them to run an event and and draw people in and put some money up, I, I think is really important. I do sometimes wonder whether or not Star Wars will be both a a benefit and a a, a potential barrier, right? So it's obviously a benefit because it's a massive intellectual property that we all love. But if you are a mom pop, you know, local game store and you're like, hey, I want to run my own 10K or whatever, how, like, I don't know what the legality is going to be as far as like how you can market that. Right. Because you you won't have permission to, like, use the Star Wars name or whatever. Now, I'm sure that a lot of these stores can probably just do it and get away with it anyway, because, you know. Until somebody tells them to stop, they're probably, you know, I I doubt Disney is like prowling around local game stores waiting to slap people on the wrist. I, I just don't buy that. But I do wonder, you know, if you were somebody who is like, I wanted to run an event, you know, at a PAX or something whether or not something of that size would would draw the ire of the legal team, if you will. So um, I, I don't know. But that that is something I've thought about, right? Because I think about, you know, people like the Realm and MinMax who do such great work for Flesh and Blood. And they run events that, you know, are now sanctioned and they'll do battle hardens and whatever. But there was a time when they were just putting their own money up and doing their own thing. And that was also, I think, really helpful for the game. And I, I don't know what that's going to look like when you have to deal with the mouse.
0: Lastly, let's talk about collecting. Uh collecting and collectors. And this is an aspect that I think is I, I have no horse in the race on this one. I am but I'm I, broke. Well, at <laughs> the apart, sure. That that definitely is part of it. Let's be real. <laughs> But this is a conversation that usually bubbles up whenever there's issues about reprints or the price of cards or this or that and rarity, etc. Collectability of a card is of a card game is, you know, whether you like it or not or you care or not is a reality, and there are collectors out there who want to know: Is this something that I want to invest in? And for those who think that who cares, collectability is a major part of this because, I'll be frank, I don't think that Lurkana would have been anywhere near as, uh, as Outrageously popular if it weren't for the casual Disney collectors who are just buying the cards to open and put them in binders and not play, the non playing groups. Collectors may be play, playing the game as well, but for the record, it's Star Wars. Therefore, it is ultimately collectible. So, where is the appeal for collectors? And to me, the first thing that pops up obviously is the fact that there is a multitude of different variants of cards at different drop rates, be it the standard card, obviously, the foil version, the hyperspace treatment of it, the foil hyperspace treatment of it. And then there is the crazy – what are they called? I I forgot what the name is of them, but like these alternate art leader cards that are one in – Showcase. Showcase. Bingo. Showcase – variants of leaders which are one in 12 boxes that is unreal that is 10 times as rare as a legendary in um in flesh and blood like unreal absolutely unreal
1: i'm i'm not joking when i say oh i'm broke but it's both because i actually am but also because I'm definitely going to be after I chase down my Showcase Sabine and my Showcase Jin and all of my favorite characters in hyperspace. And yeah, my wallet's already angry.
0: It's probably just crying a little bit. It knows what's coming, you know? It's yeah. it's, it's the sadness of it. But for the collectors out there, there is a lot of opportunity to bling out your deck, opportunity to, you know find those rarest versions of cards that extend beyond just foil versions. They extend to hyperspace, alt like extended art versions, and then the foil versions of that. These chase card showcase uh, cards as well. But the beautiful part about this is that there's also a lot of joy in opening the pack because I've seen it in all kinds of pack opening videos. You rip the pack, you toss the token from the back aside, you rip through 90% of the pack to get to the uncommons and the rares, and then you just throw everything away. In this case, the hyperspace variant of a card can be any card. So there's actual joy and a little mystique when you're opening a pack and rifling through the cards because you never know when that hit is going to be. You never know where that hyperspace card is hiding. Is it a common? Is it an uncommon? Is it in there at all? Like That's the fun of this, Charmer, is that collectors who just want to fill binders and collect Star Wars cards are going to have a fun time opening packs and looking and say, "Okay, it's not here, it's not here, it's not here, it's not here." You kind of get that suspense built up. Is it at the rare? Is it the uncommon? Who knows what it is? And bang, there it is.
1: As somebody who plans on, you know, making some YouTube content for this, especially after the game launches, there is a part of me that hopes that they have just kept it very close, but there's a part of me that hopes that f- it'll be some astronomical number. But for every, I don't know, a thousand boxes or whatever, there will be one like hyper pack, and it'll be every card oh, is hyperspace
0: you because, mean like, like, yeah,
1: you know what I mean? A God, it, pack. just that, like, you open it and the first one is hyperspace, and then you pull it and you see the second one is too, and then your hands start shaking, and you get that moment right, like. There is a part of me that hopes that they snuck some of those in um cuz that, that's that, that's just uh I don't know it's it's all of it's all of the good chemicals man and that's the dopamine the serotonin the the endorphins you name it all in one go.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many games out there have done these these god packs where every card is like a like a majestic or a mythic or like one of the rarest drops um possible all like 10 or 15 cards are the highest rarity card like those exist and the raw deal uh the wwe game had that had god packs and i think my buddy opened one once long ago and it was just a surreal thing to think because this was like pre-internet it was just like he's like what the hell and it's like oh my god that's that's unreal it's crazy
1: that's what i love about the hyperspace variant thing just in general because you can do a quote-unquote god pack that's why i called it the hyper pack because it doesn't even have to be like every card's a rare because i don't think that you would want to do that uh to compromise your your limited experience but you can still make every card hyperspace and just have it be the same distribution of you know commons uncommons and rares or whatever right like that's fine because the hyperspace takes the slot so there's there's no harm no foul if you just want to do the hyper pack and just every card is the hyperspace variant. I I really hope that they have snuck that in.
0: Well, there was the remember the error one from Flesh and Blood where basically mm-hmm. for there they weren't god packs they were god boxes where <laughs> for those who are are unaware of this Flesh and Blood for was it Dynasty um. Or outsiders? Yeah. No, it was outsiders. Outsiders. Outsiders was a set that dropped. I think almost exactly a year ago. And ultimately, here's what happened, friends. Somebody posted on like the fan page on Facebook saying, um, "I opened a box that had something like 17 legendaries in in it." And people were like, "Ha ha, whatever." And he's like, "No, uh, like I have witnesses. I I I didn't record it." But I, I like I people were there. I here's all the pulls from this one box, and people are like, "Ha ha, whatever." And then LSS Legend Story Studios, who makes Flesh and Blood, comes out with a statement saying, "Here's the deal: there was a <laughs> collation issue error for exactly 20 minutes, wherein where the collation should have been commons." it was feeding legendaries so however that works they put a legend like they put legendary sheets of cards in the common collation thing so they said th- they said ultimately this affects something like 0.2% of boxes that exist but 0.2% of boxes are absolutely juiced To the tits. Like, I don't know how else to – I know that's vulgar, but it's just – I don't know how else to properly – it's the – basically what they said is 2.2% of boxes are the cat's ass. Like, yeah, absolutely the cat's ass. So people are now – like, okay, is it the Japanese print or is the Belgian print? Oh, it's the Belgian print. People are now sitting on potential gold mines because we have only heard of something like – two or three of these boxes being opened when in reality there should be something like, I don't know, like 50 to a hundred of these boxes in existence or something like that, but they're all stored away. And people are like, are, am I sitting on a God box? You know, like uh, it's, it's nuts, but that, that, (laughs) that is in error. Whereas what you're describing is purposeful.
1: Yeah, it would be purposeful. But I, I do think that it would be a, a lot of fun. And obviously, when you think about the error, like I said, part of the issue with the error is that it could potentially ruin the limited experience, right? The last thing you want is to sit down for your you know, draft portion of a world championship, and then one pod gets the, the god box and everybody's got legendaries. Uh, I actually, my, my working theory for that is that... Uh, that's one of the reasons they moved all of the legendaries to like the expansion slash token slot in future sets. I also, you know, we talk about the expanded black bar in flesh and blood. That was because of manufacturing stuff. I know they said it was for languages, but I also think it was in, in part because of that to help with the collation stuff. But ultimately because hyperspace exists on every rarity and you can still maintain all of your competitive integrity and all of that, I just want them to do Hyper Packs.
0: Do it. Do it. You won't. You won't, cowards. You'll do it. Maybe they have. Maybe they Maybe they did. That's the beauty of it. We don't know. All right. So there you go. Um, oh, one last thing, actually, we're talking about the collectability of it. I forgot to mention that there are other variations of cards in terms of bling that are judge promos, event promos, uh store championship branded cards and and extended art so again if your goal is to have a master set of everything it is going to be exceptionally challenging and sometimes collectors are up for that they've got the the deep the deep pockets and they just want to make sure that they have every single card that has ever been printed good luck because it's going to be difficult to get those top eights those top fours those finalists those championship every month every promo everything that happens there's a lot of variants of cards and as such, there are going to be people who want to get the best or all of which. So collectability of the card game, I think, is great. And, uh, and yeah, so hopefully some of this has appealed to you as a casual gamer, as a competitive gamer, or as a collector. And if it hasn't, that's totally okay too. We just want to be transparent and clear as to some of the reasons why you should get into the game. And if we didn't sell you on it, no worries. We're still friends. Fair? I think that's fair. I think so, too. How,
1: however. Yeah? If somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, I heard, heard you're friends with Charmer, <laughs> and and he's got a message for you. Uh-oh. What, what would you say to that?
0: That Charmer has a message for me? Mhm. Well, I use the charmer rule, which is disregard the first thing you say. <laughs> That's the charmer rule. Fair. Uh, the charmer rule, by the way, was utilized in Hartford. I didn't yeah. even bring it up. Somebody said, "I'm going to use the charmer rule." Like somebody, somebody had a, uh, a poop eating grin on their face and approached. <laughs> I think it was Logan or somebody else, and said, "Hey, Logan, Logan." Uh, uh, I got or like, or, or Logan asked somebody a question and they had a stupid grin on their face. And Logan's like, I'm using the charmer rule. And and they're like, What's that? And I have to explain. I said, The charmer rule is basically disregard the first response given by Charmer when asked a serious question. And then you re-ask, yeah. you repose the question, and that's when you get the goods.
1: It, it's even more so in group chats, I will say, though it does happen quite a bit in person. If you don't know me personally, Uh, One of the things that I try to live by is that life is way too serious to take life seriously. So even in very serious moments, I am known for interjecting non-serious answers. Yes. Now, I will still buckle down and give you sage advice when needed. At least I like to think so.
0: But you but just have the, to endure. But the first yeah.
1: answer is going to be something that makes me smile for me.
0: Basically, you'll say something, and I, the, my first response is like, "We're closing the blast doors," and then I'll say, "I'll see you in hell," and I leave. <laughs> That's, good. uh but no. What I would say is, I have a bad feeling about this.
1: I got a bad feeling about
0: this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about. Okay. It. Hey, quiet. All right, so uh, Bad Feeling Mailbag. We've got some amazing, amazing submissions this week, and we'll try to get through them as much as possible. I'm going to kick it off here, Charmer. We okay. have uh, an email from Stephen Shield. Uh I'm going to skip some of the nice things that were said here. Basically, um, Stephen mentions that he was not necessarily – too interested in the game until he found our podcast and the hype that we kind of you know just started pumping for it and now he also cannot contain his excitement because he's in you know fully ingrained in the community and the culture and is excited about the game and um he also mentioned that he's just played a lot of magic growing up and really was outside of the card game scene so this was a nice reintroduction to tcgs and he wanted to give us thanks for that but it's not us giving you shouldn't give thanks to us the community itself is such that you should you know we all in this together and that's important but here's what steven shiel asks as a question um basically says uh wants to give our thoughts about the viable a viability of mono red aggro decks uh in the first set back when i played magic i was a notorious rdw player that means red deck wins so mono red uh, and I'm looking to recreate that deck for Star Wars Unlimited. I've played a ton of Force Table, but I know that's not the same as playing against real people. What are your guys' thoughts on how I could best make that deck in Star Wars Unlimited? And for a Magic player, how is Star Wars U different from Magic in terms of that playstyle? So Magic and Red Deck Wins, which is basically rdw is code for a mono red you're only playing red which is a lot it's low on lands it's like 18 lands it's a lot of low to the ground hasteful creatures and spells that do damage the objective is if you're seeing turn five you're probably losing so you're going to win before that lots of direct damage lightning bolts and lightning strikes and hasteful creatures and just doing a crap load of directed damage to burn your opponent down an aggressive feature Steven wants to know, Charmer, what is the equivalent of mono-red?
1: So the answer to that, in my honest opinion, is going to be Sabine. So heroism and then double aggression, and specifically with an emphasis on like rebels and troopers as well. Uh, we just got Saw Gerrera spoiled. I think he fits right into that art type. Uh, you want to go with Sabine just because the hero As well, uh, like the reason you go with Sabine over the villainy one is the hero as well is a source of direct damage. Right now it's to each base, but it doesn't matter. The idea is that you're going to be doing damage faster than what your opponent does. And so you're fine with that. You will hurt yourself in order to hurt your enemy, hurt your opponent. Um, When you're looking at kind of the cards that you want to include specifically if it's not heroism units it's just like the generic aggression ones it's going to be stuff like benthic two tubes um with heroism spec force soldier i know we've talked about on this podcast before uh jetta agitator actually looks pretty solid um wolf is also up there and then as far as like the other forms of direct damage, uh, there's cards like For a Cause I Believe In. That's that one that's got Cassian's art and you reveal X number of cards. Uh, I think it's four from the top of your deck and you deal damage based on the number of uh, heroism ones that you reveal and then do other things as well. So that's like the core. I think that there's stuff stuff that you can move around, but I just, I really feel like... Uh, I think double aggression is definitely viable, but I think heroism and specifically Sabine is the way to go Um, because of four cause I believe in because of running both the leader Sabine and the unit Sabine Uh, K2SO is another great unit in that deck. Um, If you're not familiar, he's like a four cost four, four overwhelm. And then uh, when he's defeated, you can either deal direct damage or I think it's make them discard a card. Right. So either way you're, you're impacting them one way or the other. Um, just all sorts of stuff. And like I said earlier, a lot of the the cards will just inadvertently have the rebel tag. So you can get away with running cards like uh, General Dodonna or even Fleet Lieutenant. Fleet Lieutenant's that 3-3 three, three for 3 that when you play it, you can have another rebel attack right away, but it gets plus 2, plus 0. So that's a very good, like, low to the ground. It's almost like an event with a body left over where you get that extra damage in, but you also another unit it's 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 there i don't know what the exact ratios will be but it's there i i truly believe that a version of that deck will be very good in set one
0: i asked uh or i would i think when it comes to mono i think mono in star wars U will be dual in my opinion i think that there's going to be no true mono decks it does well, yeah you can't the leader. have it exactly it, it just doesn't exist so it like the mono moniker would be dual and which in which case you're right aggression dual aggression and uh, with sabine i think is the right way to go um and yeah i think that that's uh that's fair and also ps ice cave radio discord server when now steven now 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 i did it this afternoon <laughs> after reading <laughs> your email i was like fine fine i'll do you it you win you win all right what's the next one
1: all right, so this is from Dan Sotello. Hi, guys. I've watched every episode on YouTube. I'm sorry. I mean, listen, Flake is fantastic, but there were some where there was no Flake and you had to deal with me, so I'm sorry. Uh, keep up the great work. I have a question that if I remember correctly, you briefly touched on in an episode, but I want to revisit as we're only a few weeks from release. Man, that feels so good to say out loud. Only a few weeks from release. It's
0: great. Remember when we had no clue, like, when all we when all we had was 2024 (laughs) yeah uh Uh.
1: so he goes on to say to my knowledge ffg has not officially mentioned anything about prizes for the bigger events mainly galactic championship and this is something that we actually touched on uh, a little bit earlier but um with the landscape of card games these days uh, out of the big money cash prizes would you be shocked or disappointed if they don't offer money prizes um and they mentioned this specifically because FFG has shown reluctance to do those things uh, in the past. And what are your thoughts on the growth of the game if they don't? And uh, as for a quick answer question, what is each of your favorite non-leader cards that you've seen thus far? so, All right. so We already k- kind of touched on the the money thing. Yeah. Um, I'm just choosing to not believe that the money is real so that I can hopefully just be surprised Um but i I, like all signs point to there will be something Uh, i would for all the reasons flake said earlier i would say they are clearly supporting this game more than they have supported any other endeavor like this in the past and not even like oh it's like you know a little bit of extra resources i mean the the resources they're throwing into this game are miles above so i i would legitimately be shocked
0: I will say this: I, I would very much be shocked if there's no price tag or there's no monetary winnings associated to major tournaments. I would be shocked if those if the money is for a Galactic Championship is not a six figures, a uh, uh, number as well. So whether is if that's going to be the case for the first one, maybe, maybe I would, not.
1: That's that's why I was like, I don't know about the first one.
0: First one might be like a fifty k, and that's what I was thinking. Yeah, okay. but I mean, for twenty twenty four 2025 to me it's a million dollar price tag and that's for all the stuff around the world and they're going to parse that out and make it happen look like like we mentioned earlier this is a game that they're fully invested in in many ways shapes or forms whether you trust them or not is is that's your own your your decision to make i have no previous relationship with ffg or their games but i am also cautious but i am cautious and optimistic I understand that for a game to have a player base, it needs to entice players who want to invest their time towards something. Because not every every person is playing cards for the sake of playing cards. A lot of them want to earn something. There's something tangible that you can win, and that appeals to people. They're, that their time and their effort is being rewarded in a certain case. And for some, it's winning you know, I got a top four at my at my store championship. I got this cool Mace Windu branded as a top four. And that's the end of the line. That is that is where they want to end. I have seen and played with players like that. I'm kind of like that. I've also played with players like Tarek Patel and, you know, Michael Hamilton, or here in Canada, like Tarek Patel and Aaron Chance and Sean Dollywall and uh, Isaac Crute and, and Nia Tran and all these other massive, massive card gamers who... When they go to a tournament, it's because they want to win it, because they want to qualify, because they want their time to be rewarded. And I think that in the grand scheme of things, FFG needs to realize that if they're going to compete against Flesh and Blood, against Magic, against Pokemon, against Lurkana, that they have to put a reason for them to play it that goes beyond the love of the game. Because when it comes to the love of the game, it's not that they love star wars unlimited they love playing cards and strategy card games so if they're gonna invest 20 to 30 hours a week into honing their craft they want a reward at the end of it so to them it's like whether i play this or this it doesn't matter but i'm gonna play the one that has the carrot at the end of the stick the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that i could potentially win and i've seen it you've seen it battle spirit saga had a lot of Pro players from other games go to the Pro Tour, learn the game, buy the cards, and then never touch it again because there are no more money tournaments. So it's a it's a reality. FFG needs to understand that, that they, if they're going to compete, they need a reason for people to play their game outside of the fact that, you know, they like Luke Skywalker. Fair?
1: Is that your choice for your favorite non-leader card?
0: My favorite non-leader card is... Oh, I can't tell you man. Uh oh, no, you know what it is? It's the star destroyer that cancels the first the first event that your opponent plays. I think that might be my favorite one.
1: Uh, relentless. Relent- I, think, I believe it's relentless.
0: One? Yeah. That is for sure probably my favorite card right now.
1: That's I mean that's that's a solid or, choice. Or
0: there's the one that you drop it on the on the on the battlefield and it's a ground unit that you name a card and your opponent can't play that card. That is regional p- governor, regional governor. It's one of those two. Either way is denial. It's, it's a denial card. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, she's the answer for me is Sabine cause favorite character. And I'm sure you could say the same for Han, but if we're just talking about like favorite card, um, I think the unit version of Darth Vader is perhaps one of the most impactful and flavorful cards they've revealed. I'm not necessarily what I would consider, like, to be a Darth Vader fan. I mean, I don't dislike Darth Vader or doesn't anything. doesn't care I'm if you're like a, a fan or not. Right. Like, I'm not a diehard Darth Vader fan, but I'm saying this because, like, I want to pick that, and I just don't want people to think it's like, oh, well, of course, it's Darth Vader. No, like, that card is just legitimately good and hits all the flavor notes and does all the things. Um, I also just really like Vigilance. It's between those two for me. Like, Vigilance is the reason I keep going back to trying to do a... A double vigilance control deck.
0: <sighs> We're gonna have so much fun, dude. I know. Uh, all right. Hopefully that uh, answers your question. Did you notice the email address for Dance uh, Satella?
1: The uh, stormtrooper well, I, I,
0: eighty-one. I,
1: I, well, yeah. I mean, I wasn't gonna say the whole thing because I don't. Well,
0: I'm but, not gonna yeah, say Storm, the whole I, thing, but
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Storm, yeah, stormtrooper.
0: Eighty-one
1: stormtrooper 81 so uh if that's your birth year then he's in he's in good company with us 80s children
0: are the best because you got to live the 90s with with some cognitive reality going on all right last one this is from kenton matos hey team wampa we'll take that i am enjoying your podcast from day one your podcast production has been fantastic well thank you so much i try to I'm not in any way Steven Spielberg, but I've been, I've been a one-man show for many other projects, so I do what I can. I love your banter. You guys seem to flow together in conversation. Well, we're buddies. That's how it goes. You should see us not on a podcast. You should see us on a, on a cruise ship. <laughs> um The one thing I am missing is someone with more knowledge about FFG, particularly Star Wars Destiny, as it could add a bit more to your conversation, as there is a ton of Star Wars Destiny influence in the design, as some of that design team is part of the original designers for Star Wars Unlimited. Even without that, your podcast is one of my favorite gaming-related casts I listen to. Well, thank you so much. And I did reply to Kenton privately, and I'm going to say it publicly here. I agree. This is... This is a this is a shortcoming of mine personally that I have never played Destiny. I've never played an FFG game. I've played so many other card games, and you're absolutely right. It's something that I don't know how I can rectify because I don't I think, think – Yeah, I'm not going to go and play Star Wars Destiny and learn the ins and outs of it. But I was gonna
1: say if if the next time you uh, come visit me, if you want, I can hit up some locals that still have all their stuff.
0: Perfect. I would love to learn we it. We could
1: we could make a night of it or whatever, just for just so that you can have the uh, context. You yeah, know what and, I
0: mean? and that's that's and that's a good segue here because the the remainder of this email. Uh, first of all, I just want to say that yes, you're absolutely correct, and it is something that I hope that some can you know forgive or see past that we're. I personally, I can't speak for Charmer, I can't speak for Doha, but I personally am, am lacking in that, and I will, I will do my best, um, nonetheless. Uh, but here, he, he, what Kenton, he provides context to the question. Here's the context. He says, in Star Wars Destiny, some characters had such traits and others did not. Chewbacca had the Wookiee trait, and Jabba the Hutt did not have the Hutt trait in later sets. They did have some Wookiee synergy going on, which was fine since they included the trait on Chewbacca, making the early characters usable. In, uh, in another FFG, Marvel Champions, they dis- released Spider-Man and Spider-Woman earlier in development. Neither of these characters had the trait being web warriors. Then later on, they decided to release products of characters with reb- or web warrior traits and synergies with that trait while excluding Spider-Man and Spider-Woman. The question is... Do you think Star Wars Unlimited should have included species tags like Wookiee, Hutt, Chiss, Nogri as traits? Did they limit the options for the tribal pairings and mechanics for the future? Does the set rotation play into not, this not being a big deal? Since an older release character will not be playable, can they replace it with a newer version? This is a very intriguing question, Kenton, and I appreciate you asking it. What are your impressions on this, Charmer?
1: My initial impressions, if I'm being honest, are that I don't, I don't personally think that it will be too big of an issue uh, for a couple of reasons. First, I'm struggling to think of any of the actual racial tags that have been used. I don't think we have seen them. It's always been like either faction like imperial or rebel, or descriptors like, you know, trooper, official, um there's jedi right but there's also force but as far as i remember i don't think we've seen a, a wookie uh a, a chiss or any of those things a Rodian.
0: well okay so here we have we have droid that that i think is is possible oh, you know what uh there's no, hut I'm, I'm
1: wrong there is hut okay Hutt is
0: there uh but what i found is there but is could,
1: you you could make the argument that that could be part of like the hut Clam, syndicate, yes like, like syndicate yeah
0: I agree I think that that's what they're alluding to now when you rewind 25 some odd years to Star Wars they had alien as as um a, a descriptor of a character that played into game effects I think what they're trying um, to do is kind of get away from, from race related descriptors.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I was leading into. There is also Jawa, but you could say that that's like the the Jawa tribe because like I don't even think we know technically what a Jawa is. Um, but what I was getting ready to say is that one, uh, I think it's mostly been faction-oriented thus far, and I think that that is where they plan on taking it. But if they do decide to correct course, because in this game we've already set a precedent for... There's going to be different versions of the characters from different eras and different whatever. I I think it's fine because if they do print something where they want it to have a specific synergy, then they will likely just include a new version in that set. And then that will... That'll be good for the game for two reasons. One, because then you'll have more versions of very popular characters, but also... Uh, Again, because they have put such thought and care into the limited experience, you want, theoretically, your sets where you have a specific synergy in mind to be part of your sealed and part of your draft experience. You don't want to never have backwards compatibility uh, in interaction with your design, but you still want some core critical mass of it to be in a set because that's going to be the identity of it when you draft and when you play sealed and whatever. So. Uh, I think that they'll just print new versions, and I and I'm okay with that.
0: Part of it is also sometimes if you're like thinking, okay, like we if we have to start doing this, and we because we want to build a tribal around it, what they'll probably do is print a version of Chewbacca. Let's say if you're talking about Wookies, if Wookie becomes a tribe that a descriptor that has synergistic elements to it, and they're like, well, our Spark of Rebellion expansion Chewbacca is not really a Wookie because it's not printed on it. How do we get around that? Well, maybe they print a new Chewbacca that just plays so well within the Wookiee tribal deck that it's almost stupid (laughs) to play the other one. It's just a better statted uh, um, uh, option. It's much like, you know, in Star Wars CCG, they printed Chewbacca of Kashyyyk. They already had the other Chewbacca, but the other Chewbacca was always getting force-choked by Vader. It was this, like, six-power yeah. dude, but his ability was so small. Or he was getting shot to, sh- to to crap because he had no defense value. Then they gave him a roar. It's like he can roar, and his defense value becomes four instead of two, which keeps him a little bit, you know, more on the board. Plus, he was a scout, and he was, you know, the, the reason he was printed was to do work with scouts, so they made him better on Endor. Nobody played the... Chewbacca that came with A New Hope. They just kept printing better versions. And that also alludes to power creep in as well. And that is an element of power creep in itself, is more tribal abilities to it. And this game is not going to be immune to power creep. You know, however many sets they're already down the road, they're probably looking at, like, look, this is our third Wedge Antilles. Wedge Antilles version 3 is much better than Wedge Antilles version 1's, all, th- all things considered. Whether it's an extra point of stats or one less aspect needed to pay it. That's just the way it goes. I agree with you that it might be a concern to a degree, Kenton, but I I also kind of am not necessarily too worried about it because should there be rotation, should there be other things, I think that it's just another balance metric that they're going to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, I I would say the same thing. I was trying to think of a situation that I might still predict or could see happening if we weren't considering like the alien races so for me it would be you know what's it going to look like when we start getting um you know a bunch of first order units right are those all also going to be imperials or will we just have first order and trooper but maybe not imperials that sort of thing
0: who knows yeah that's true very true um all right, my friends. I'm just uh sorry, I just got a I got a message basically saying our pre-release tickets are now available, so I just got to snap that off cuz uh Star Wars U pre-release. I'm super excited. Yeah. All right, friends. So that is it for the uh, bad feeling mailbag. If you'd like to submit a question, you can do so by emailing icecaveradio at gmail.com. You could tweet at watchflake. You could tweet at thatcharm3r. You could tweet at ggdoa for our uh, our other partner who's uh, out braving the wilds of life. Or you can tweet at icecaveradio. We, in- we invite you to please follow us there. Join our new Discord. The link will be in the comment section of this video or rather in the uh, description of this video and join us join us also on saturday if you're not if you're listening to this on friday at the ffg stream i will be there charmer will be there doa will be there a myriad of beautiful wonderful human beings will be there playing this game so please join us it's gonna be awesome man
1: saturday february 10th
0: yes good call i don't know
1: when you're watching this person in the future so saturday february 10th 2024 watch us yeah yeah so thank yeah, 2024. you twenty twenty-four. because if you're watching this in you know 2047 then hey i'm happy the game is still going
0: yeah and thank you for um feeding sending
1: me. sending my wife flowers at my funeral there's no way I'm making it to
0: 2047. <laughs> dude, that's not far away. That's 23 years from now, dude. Have you seen me and how I live my life? <laughs> I. It is my mission to keep you healthy right, and fair. smiling. Friends, thank you very much again for checking us out. Be sure to give us a five-star review. It gives us the best, best, best uh, uh, chance of cutting through the algorithmic jungle. All right, Charmer, are you ready? Are you locked? Are you loaded? It is time for your parting wisdom. Friends, thank you very much for listening to Ice Cave Radio. We'll see you soon. Adios, Charmer. Wisdom. Go. May the Force be with you.